0: Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, remember last week I told you that we would probably back up and look at some of chapter 8 a little more closely. And I want to re-examine, for example, the story of the centurion. The story is so full of meaning on so many different levels that it really bears a closer look. It begins in verse 5 of chapter 8 and it says... When Yeshua had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. And Yeshua said to him, I will go heal him. So the centurion seeks him, which I pointed out should take us to a prophecy in Zechariah, which I'll read again this week. It says in Zechariah chapter 8, and verse 22, it says, "...and many peoples and powerful nations..." will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty to entreat him. And so this is kind of the basic theme that I want to elaborate on today. Something we need to keep at the forefront of our minds as we read the book of Matthew is the purpose and the timing of the letter. This letter is being written late in the life of Matthew. And Matthew has seen at this time the work of Paul and Peter. All of those who have been dispersed among the the non Jews in the diaspora. He had heard reports of Peter and Shaul and how many non Jews were turning to God through the message of the Messiah. And so I think that part of the focus of the letter is to explain to the Hebrew his Hebrew brothers that this is the Messiah that would fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah which speaks so much of Messiah. Matthew would surely want to draw the attention of his people to the book of Isaiah as Isaiah speaks more about the Messiah and the suffering servant Messiah than any other prophet in the Bible. We have Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, and we know he's going to want his people to look at those passages and as he witnesses to his brother, and so to draw their attention To this book of Isaiah, what better way to show some of the more tangible fulfillment of of the prophecies of Isaiah? And so if we go to Isaiah, we'll find the reason for, I believe, for the inclusion of this story. It says in chapter 42 and verse 1, it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nation." He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice in the earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth, And all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes of the blind, to free the captives from prison, to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. And notice that he says of the Messiah that he will bring justice to the nation. And that his law, the islands or the nations, will put their hope in. And finally he says, And I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison. Matthew, at this time of his life, is seeing and hearing these things being fulfilled. And he wants his brothers to see this as well. You see, if he can get him them to see these things, he can draw their attention to passages like Isaiah 52 and 53. In this story and others that we follow that follow, we're going to see Yeshua bring justice to the nations. He recognizes the faith of the centurion and says, I haven't seen such great faith in any one of all in all of Israel. And I want you to think about that statement for a minute. Here's a non-Jew, and not just a non-Jew, but a Roman centurion. A man who is here in Israel to make sure the people of Israel remain in submission to Rome. A Gentile soldier here to keep Israel in line. And one that's surely not like among most of the people. He's one if you saw him coming towards you, if you were an Israelite and you saw him coming toward you, it would strike fear in your heart. And so it's, it, would be e- it would have been an easy thing for Yeshua just to dismiss him and say, "I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel." The people of Israel would have understood that, but his mission was to be a light to the nations and to bring justice to the people. And so his response, as we're going to see, is to do just that. We spoke earlier about how Gentiles were considered unclean. And we can say pretty much for sure that this is an uncircumcised Gentile. He would not hold the post of centurion had he, had, had he been anything else. As a leader of Rome, he would be one who followed the law of Rome. And circumcision would have been considered a mutilation of the flesh in Rome. So here we have an uncircumcised Gentile and we have Yeshua not hesitating to go into the home of this uncircumcised Gentile. The centurion realizing his dilemma, he says, and we'll read, the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve you to to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man of authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Yeshua heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I like this because it says Yeshua was astonished, or some versions say amazed. Because while many were astonished by Yeshua, it's hard to find something that really astonished Yeshua or amazed Yeshua. And think about it. If he was astonished by this, if he was amazed by this, how much more should we be astonished? And want to know, what brought about this astonishment? What brought about his amazement in this Gentile soldier? Well, first Yeshua, I'm sure, is astonished because the centurion had such a grasp of authority. You know, the whole of Matthew is a narrative. The narrative of Matthew is about showing and establishing, and it will continue to do this, to establish Yeshua's authority. To show Yeshua's authority. And sadly, authority is something that is not understood in this country very well. We're all about, we are all in and under authority. However, we seldom see that in this country. You know, if you're out on the road driving, you're under the authority of the highway patrol. If you don't believe me, just exceed the speed limit for a little while. That posted sign there, ignore a few stop signs, a few yield signs. By the same token, that officer who pulls you over, he has the authority to make your life so miserable with fines and jail. In another situation, he has no authority. He's just like anybody else. Let me give you an example. We have several police officers in our congregation. Praise the Lord. And when they come in, I feel really safe because of that, you know? But here's the deal. I'll bet to a person if you ask them that when they're here in this building they recognize there's another authority here. Another authority structure and they're submitted to that because they understand authority. The elders are the authority here. So depending on the circumstance, depending on where you are, the authority can change. If you're in your car, then the highway patrol. And if you don't believe that, you won't be driving long. If you're in the congregation, then the laws of the congregation and the bylaws and the elders are to be followed. And if if you don't, then you probably won't be here long. Well, think about it. Here in this passage, we have a Roman centurion. And Rome is the ultimate authority on the earth at that time. And he comes to Yeshua. And first he says, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Think about that statement. You might want to consider what this word for deserve means in the Greek. It means good enough. Enough, good, sufficient, worthy. I'm not worthy. He's saying as a Roman centurion, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not sufficient to have you come under my roof. Think about it. For a man of such authority to say, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof to someone who's under his authority. It's almost unheard of. At least in Rome. And then he says, For I myself am a man in authority with soldiers under me. Listen to what he does. He speaks of his authority as a roman soldier he's one to be obeyed and yet he says i'm not worthy to have you come under my roof if we look at the other word in this another word here for the word for authority here it means this the power of rule or government authority to manage affairs he understands authority particularly his own he says of yeshua I have the power of Rome behind me. I am in authority. I tell people to do this and it gets done. And then he says, I'm not worthy. He realizes he has the power of Rome, power in his life over life and death of others. And he says, I'm not worthy. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. He's just told Yeshua that he recognizes that the authority that Yeshua is under is greater than that of the authority that he's under. He's told Yeshua that though he's great in this world and that in this world the power of Rome is behind him, that he sees that Yeshua has a greater authority and power. And it can only be that he sees Yeshua is a man from God and there's no greater authority on earth than what he represents. And so Yeshua says of this man, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The centurion just told Yeshua that his trust is not of the things of this world of which he is clearly master over yeshua he's clearly master over yeshua and and all the other israelites in this world and in this situation but he's also told him that his trust is in what is unseen he sees that yeshua's authority exceeds that of this world and comes from one who is yet unseen God. That's faith. Listen to what Hebrews says of faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what, we, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Yeshua sees his faith and he knows that faith pleases God. And all who have looked past this world and its rulers and cried out to God are the ones who have pleased God. And so the one who came to bring justice to the nation says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at a feast with Abraham, with Isaac, Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven. But the subject of the kingdom will be thrown in." Outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Yeshua said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very hour. I have to tell you that when I read about the centurion, I'm always amazed at the faith of this man. Just as Yeshua was amazed. I mean, if think about it. If it amazed Yeshua, how much more should we search out this passage and have it amaze us? Here we have a man who's part of the most powerful nation ever to rule. He's, he's very much like this country today. Think about it. Very much like the country we live in. They were the most powerful nation In the known world, at this time in their history as a nation, their victories over other nations and over other armies were more than one could count. And their losses that they'd suffered, you could count on a hand. Rome. They controlled the Mediterranean and all the lands that surrounded it. Much of Europe and the nations it didn't control lived in fear of Rome. To the average Roman soldier, I imagine the people of Israel were just second-class human beings. Second-class inferior peoples, and not just that. In this day, and this time, think about it. People thought of their gods as being as powerful as the nations that worshipped them. And this nation's god was one who had allowed centuries, of other nations to rule over them. Now we know the reason that God did this was to make an example of Israel, but the soldiers of Rome wouldn't have known that. It would have said, the God of Israel? That's no God at all. What God would allow other nations to rule over His people like this? What God would allow this to happen to a nation of people that worshipped Him? And you think about it, while while the Roman ruler at this time was Tiberius, he wasn't too popular. A lot of Roman rulers were thought of as supreme. Their gods were powerful and had made that nation powerful. And so a Roman soldier would be one who would feel superior to this vassal peoples in every way. And that superiority would be pounded into him from childhood. Rome is great. Caesar is great. No one crosses Rome without consequences. And the consequences were usually the end of your life. The centurion would have been even more steeped in this power than than the ordinary soldier. A man more acquainted and more steeped in the power of Rome. Think of it. If he had had another Roman centurion, if another Roman centurion had asked him what he was about to do and he said, I'm going to see a Jew about healing my servant. Think of what the other Roman centurion would have done and how hard he would have laughed. Because the whole thing is ridiculous and contrary to everything that they knew to be true. What can a Jew do for you? He would have said, The fact is, probably if one of those centurions or another soldier above him would have heard him say, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, he probably wouldn't have been a centurion very long. And yet, he comes to Yeshua and he says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. I know your authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word, and you can do what Rome and all of its power and all of its knowledge and all of its might cannot do. One word. And it's at this that Yeshua is amazed, and we should be as well. Because that's the essence of faith, to look at the world around you and say, Yeshua, just say the word, and and me and my family will be made whole. And yes, we live in the most powerful nation in the world. And yes, we have the greatest medical facilities in the world and the brightest minds in the world. But Lord, you made me and all of this. And with a word, with just one word, you made it. And with a word, you can change the course of my life. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We live in a, in an illusion. Rome was an illusion of power. The United States of America is but an illusion of power, might, and knowledge. But it's all smoke and mirrors, soon to be blown away and shattered. Our problem is, we don't see it because the illusion is so good. We as people are so dependent on what we see and what we hear. We make idols because we want to see our gods. From the time we're old enough to sit and listen to TV or go to school, any hope of trusting that which we cannot see, hear, touch, prove, and experiment with is taken from us as not being real and just the work of imagination. If we're blessed enough to go to church, we're often taught that God, for the most part, is not Not only is he not seen, but he's really not too concerned with the world or our state of affairs. He really hasn't done much to interact with the world since the first century. He really hasn't done much. You can speak at him, but don't wait for an answer. You can ask to be healed, but don't count on it. Better to go to doctors. At least you can see and touch. And they'll give you medicine. That you can see and touch. The point I want to get across to you is that we are like the centurion. We're also steeped in an illusion. But the centurion was able to take a step out of the illusion and see what was real. Lord, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he amazed Yeshua. If we were to continue to read on in the book of Hebrews, that passage that we just read about faith, after that statement of faith, that faith is to be sure of what we hope for and have confidence in what is not seen, it goes on to list the hall of fame of faith. All the people who ignored what they saw in this life and listened to what God said to them. And put that first. Listen to what Hebrews 11 and verse 17 says of Abraham. Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he received Isaac back from the dead. And by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Can you imagine what those around Abraham, what the world would have said to Abraham had they known what Abraham was about to do that day? You're going to do what? Your God told you to do what? The rabbis teach that when Sarah heard what he had set out to do, she died. The world would have said to him, You're a crazy man. And yet, we're to be of the faith of Abraham. You see, Abraham was another man who looked at the world and the powers to be and said no to the world. And as we move on, I want to look at a few more. But I want you to remember something about Abraham. What gave him this great faith was, he a, man, was a man who heard from God. He spoke to God. And that gave him this faith. Now listen to this next one. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Messiah as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You know, you read that passage. Did you ever wonder how he knew about Messiah? Huh? Let's read a little bit further. By faith... He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Moses looked at the world, and he didn't see the powers that be, but he looked at the world and he saw the vast creation. And he said, there's one who made this. And it's he that I will follow, not Pharaoh. And look at the ridiculous things that he did with that faith. To go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Tell him things like, tomorrow the Nile is going to turn to blood. Tomorrow you're going to sit in darkness. Tomorrow your firstborn are going to die. And he did it because he heard from God. And he had relationship with God. Can you imagine what people would have thought and said as he told them, I'm going to go tell Pharaoh tomorrow this. What are you crazy? And I want you to keep in mind again that Moses was one who heard from God. He had a good relationship with God. He spoke with God. Now listen to this next one. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Can you imagine... What it must have been like to be one of those people of Jericho to watch these idiots march around the walls of your city that had protected you and your fathers and then shout and the walls fall? (laughs) Can you imagine how ridiculous it should have sounded to Joshua? What? (laughs) But Joshua heard from God and he did what he was told to do in faith. If you read this chapter of Hebrews, you're going to find that each and every one of these stories teach of a different manifestation of faith. Faith in action, perseverance in the face of opposition, faith in God, even though everything in the world tells you that God can't do what He did. Each of these teach something different, but there's one commonality in each of these stories. And the commonality in the lives of each and every one of these people in the Hall of Fame of Faith, the thread that runs through each of these stories is they all heard from God. They all had relationship with God. They all heard His voice. They all knew God on a personal level. They had relationship with God. God called Abraham. God called Moses. Joshua saw The tabernacle, the manifestations of God. These men knew God and they did these amazing leaps of faith because they had heard from God. The centurion, not so much. The centurion, not so much. I don't read of a relationship with God that he had. Nowhere does it say the Lord spoke to the centurion and said, Go see Yeshua and he'll heal your servant. I don't read that an angel appeared to him and wrestled with him to submission like Jacob. Or God spoke to him from a bush like Moses. But the Sapturian, he looked about him and he said, yes, Rome is mighty. Yes, he saw the danger of what he was about to do. But he also looked past those things And he looked at the creation and he said, there's one larger than Rome. There's one larger than the stone idols of Rome and the works of men that adorn the temples of Rome. There's one who spoke this world into existence and in love, think about this, in love for his servant, his neighbor, he humbled himself And he went to Yeshua and he said, I'm not worthy. And Rome is not able. But Lord, if you'll just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Yeshua, amazed, said, I tell you the truth. I've not found faith like this in all of Israel. A man who put everything on the line for the life of a servant And the knowledge that Yeshua could speak the word and his servant would be healed. He could just speak a word and change the course of his servant's life. With just a word, he could do what all the swords and the knowledge of Rome couldn't. And then Yeshua said of the centurion, Many like him are going to come and take seats with those of the book of Hebrews at a feast. And I can tell you this, it's not the last time the centurion heard the words of the Master, but it was the start of a beautiful friendship, one that will last forever. Now the question is, how do we become the people of faith, the faith of the centurion? How do we find our way to those seats with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob? Well, it might be if we were to go to Yeshua and say, Lord, if you'll just speak the word, I'll be made whole. And then the most important part, wait for the Lord to speak the word. I'm talking about prayer, of course. And friends, if I harp on this, it's because it's so important. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't go to the king in prayer, then your life is incomplete. And you'll never stop looking at the world for help. Take the time in your prayer closet to seek the Lord and then wait for the Word, for His voice. If you do that, He will shield you from the error of this world It will give you a new confidence about who you are in the Lord.